John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Pastor Jeremy Bass, the, the lead pastor. I don't know what you would call it. Lead pastor of this service, main pastor of this service. Whatever title you want to give me is fine by me. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, uh, including my mom and Erica. Uh, if you want to think less of me, ask Erica to tell you a funny Mother's Day story uh, that I know that she is dying to tell people. So go find Erica after the service and ask her, what's that story Jeremy's talking about? Uh, we're in the middle of our Nehemiah series. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. So we're taking a little bit of a break after this week. We're going to be doing a two-week break because it'll be a combined service next week and then Pentecost on the 28th, which is one of my favorite days of the year. And then we'll finish up uh, Nehemiah through the rest of June. Uh, so last week we looked at what happens when uh, the enemy comes against us and how do we overcome the enemy in the middle of rebuilding and how do we overcome sort of this outward conflict, this conflict that comes from uh, not within the community. And today we're going to be look at looking at how do we deal with conflict within the community? How do we deal with inward conflict? Nehemiah chapter 5, this is sort of sandwiched in between uh, outside conflict in chapter 4 and outside conflict in chapter 6, and then finishing the wall in chapter 6, you get this small story of a problem that arises in the middle of the Jewish community. This is what it says in Nehemiah 5, verses 1 through 13. About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs. And yet, we must sell our children into slavery just to make enough money to live. We have already had some of our daughters sold, and we are helpless to do anything about it, for our fields and our vineyards are mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry, and after thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. And then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all that we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them right back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. But then I pressed further, what you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being, made, in order to avoid being mocked by our enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. 
You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, wine, and olive oil. And they replied, We will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. And then I called the priests together and made the nobles and the officials swear to do what they had promised. I shook out the folds of my robe and said, If you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. And the whole assembly responded, Amen. And they praised the Lord, and the people did just as they promised. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it's this problem that arises in the community that they're in the process of rebuilding the wall and because the whole surrounding area and all of Jerusalem had to come and work on this project of rebuilding the wall like we talked about a few weeks ago, they had to stop working in their fields in order to go and work on rebuilding this wall. And this especially affected the poor within this community. Because the poor were most likely people who just worked the land enough, made enough money just to survive, and suddenly having to stop working in the fields meant that uh, they couldn't get access to an income. And then in the events in chapter 4 with the enemies coming against the people of God, they had to now work double shifts. They were not only focused on rebuilding the wall, but now they also had to take a shift guarding the wall. And this just soaked up all the time that they had to go and do the work of planting and harvesting and doing all that they needed to do. So what they did is they borrowed money from the wealthy Jews in Jerusalem. And there's this concept in that day and age called debt slavery. Uh, It's unlike modern days where if you get rack up too much debt, you can just kind of declare bankruptcy and get it all swept away and clean. Uh, In those days, if you racked up all this debt, the only way that you could pay off the debt was by either selling yourself or selling a family member into slavery, and they would work until that debt was paid off. It was a very common practice in those days. And so the scandal that we see here in Nehemiah is that instead of it being debt to pagan nations, instead of it being debt to foreigners, to Gentiles, it is Jewish people doing this to one another. Look at what it says in verse 8. At the meeting I said to them, We are doing all that we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. So you got this situation where they're trying to bring back as many people from uh, foreign slavery, and then they just put them right back into chains with this debt slavery. And the scandal is that Nehemiah is saying, you are doing exactly what the nations around us are doing. That you, the people of God, look just like everyone else. When we think about our problem and how Scripture shines a light on us, I think that's one of the primary issues facing the American church today. Is that the light can be shined on our churches and say, we are living just like everyone else what is our witness to the world how do we look to everyone around us are we living 
differently, or are we like the people here in Nehemiah who are doing the exact same things that the Gentiles do, but they are not the people of God? The prophet Amos has this really harsh uh, rebuke of Israel. Amos 5, 21 through 24 says this. This is the Lord speaking. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and your solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I will not even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with all your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. You get this really hard prophetic word from Amos. And I think what God's fundamentally saying through the prophet Amos and what Nehemiah is getting at here is that he doesn't like this outward show. God can't stand it when we play and pretend religion. That this fake outward show of religion is something that the Lord cannot stand. Because it's this image of what, uh, what's happening in Amos here is the people of God, is they're, they're coming to the temple assemblies and they're doing all the right things that they should on the outside. They're offering their sacrifices. They're going to the temple. They're singing the songs. And then when they leave temple that week, they are living just like everyone else. And in fact, the prophets will say that you are living worse than the nations who are surrounding you. And the Lord says, I cannot stand this false outward show of religion. To stop putting on a show for God is the call of the prophets that we see over and over and over again. It's this call to stop hypocrisy. One of the things that, I don't know if I like to do it, one of the things that I do do is that I read accounts of why people have walked away from the faith. They grow up in church, but then they leave the faith when they grow up. And there's many different reasons that people give for why they leave the faith. But a common thread that I see through many stories is that uh, they'll, they'll grow up in church and they'll see their parents take them to church religiously every week, and their parents will act one way on Sunday morning, and then they'll come home, and then they'll be a completely different person for the rest of the week. It's like their parents have this church face, and then they have their real face that they show at home. They'll see the hypocrisy. They'll see this outward show like Amos gets at, and they say, I don't want any of that, and they'll reject it. Or what you'll see in the public eye recently is just these Christian celebrity pastors, the biggest oxymoron if there is such a thing, these celebrity Christian pastors who have these massive platforms, but it seems like the bigger the platform, the bigger the moral failing that these pastors have, that they are portraying to live one way in public, and then in their private lives, it's like a completely different person. I think this is what Nehemiah is getting at here, that we are supposed to be the people of God, and yet you are living just like everyone around you, Nehemiah is charging to his people. And yet you're enslaving your people, you're enslaving your brothers and sisters, just like the Gentiles over there that we're trying to rescue. And he says, do you not fear God? Do you not fear God? And then he also says, what will the other nations think of us? 
And I think this charge from Nehemiah can also apply to us as well, that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, are supposed to look different than the world around us. We're supposed to live differently than the world around us. But here's what that doesn't mean, though. We always talk about hypocrisy. Here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you get better at hiding sin. It doesn't mean that you well, I need to make sure that the mask is an even better fitting mask. I need to make sure that the outside is even prettier so that way they can't see the rot on the inside. In Nehemiah, we see that when the people uh, are confronted with their sin, they confess their sin. They didn't hide it. And so we don't need to get better at hiding sin. We need to get better at confessing our sin. It also doesn't mean that there's no room for grace. As the scripture says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We see even here in Nehemiah that the people are forgiven when they repent and turn away for their sin. So it doesn't mean we hide our sin. It doesn't mean that there's no room for grace. But it means what are we striving to as the church? Who are we striving to become? Are we striving for holiness of heart and life? Or are we just passively accepting the lifestyle of everyone around us? Because here's what we see as like a fundamental truth in Nehemiah, and this will be what the rest of the book unpacks, is that God is not just rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but God is rebuilding a community. He's not just rebuilding physical walls, he's rebuilding his people to become the chosen people, to be the people who has who he has called and he has made. We'll see this as we look at the rest of uh, June. This will be what we're unpacking is what is this community that God is building up? Who is this new community in Jerusalem God desires to build up? It's a physical and spiritual rebuilding of the people of God. And as we look at ourselves and we look at our own rebuilding, who is God making us to be? Who is Jesus making us to be? Are we called to look more like Jesus or are we called more to look like everyone around us? Here's the word from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. Peter writes, But you are not like that. You, but you are not like that, meaning the people around you. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you had received no mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as a temporary resident and foreigner to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls, but live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Because we can hear the good news that, you know, I think it's so easy for us to hear the message of hypocrisy and despair and think, well, that's me. Pastor's talking about me. Because uh, I feel like I'm talking about myself when I'm up here saying something like that. But we hear the good news of the gospel. That Jesus says, this is who you are. That your identity is not as a hypocrite, but your identity is what we see here in First Peter. You are 
royal priests. You are a chosen people. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. That that is how the Lord sees us when he looks down upon us. And so our response is not to clean ourselves up, make ourselves better, but just to live deeper into who we already are. To live deeper into who God is calling us to be. Uh, As C.S. Lewis says, to come further up and further in. To be who we are called to be, who Jesus wants us to be. So how do we do that? Nehemiah gives us some guidance here in verse 9. How do we become who God has called us to be? Nehemiah 5.9 says this, When I press further, what you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by the enemies? It's right there in Nehemiah. How do we live deeper into who Jesus wants us to be? The first step is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, or putting it another way, the first step is inward holiness. Holiness of heart and life. Fear of the Lord is one of those terms in Scripture uh, that I think it's overcomplicated, but it could just be simply put as this. The fear of the Lord means humbling ourselves before God. To say, you are God, I am not. You are first, I am second. You are holy, I am not holy. You are the teacher, the master, the savior. I am not. Scripture says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think what it's getting at there is the fear of the Lord, the the humility, the posture of our heart is the beginning of wisdom. That knowing who we are in relation to God is the beginning of wisdom. Putting ourselves in the right posture before God as a student, a learner, is how we gain wisdom. It's a posture of learning before God, of sitting at the Master's feet and learning from Him. Uh, Church and being a Christian is not just about believing right things, but it's about seeing how Jesus lived and living deeper into how He calls us to live, to love Him more and be transformed by Him as we spend time with Him. That we become transformed in our heart, this inward holiness of our heart. And we do this, we accomplish this inward holiness by pressing deeper into what Wesley called the means of grace. Or these ordinary vessels, these God-ordained channels that God pours out his grace through us. Like reading scripture, through prayer, through fasting, through communion through small groups even. These are all ways that Wesley believed that God makes us more like himself. It's to open up our hearts from a posture of learning and say, Lord, come and make me more like you. As we strive for Christian maturity, as we strive for entire sanctification, as Wesley put it, uh, to let God have more and more of our hearts that we will choose to inwardly be transformed to let the Lord come and do a new thing in our hearts and that the things that we used to do as we press deeper into God, we do no more. You know, one of the things with Elias, he's changed a lot even in just the two short months that we've been here. 
uh, and he's just going to continue to grow up and change. You know, if your parents, you've seen your children as they age and grow and they go through these different stages of progression and they'll discover new things and then they'll act differently and they, <clears throat> you see that they mature and grow and they get bigger and they do different things and it's exciting to see. And the difference between just sort of a child growing up and a Christian maturing is that a child will just kind of grow up naturally. Like, I can pretend Elias is going to be a baby his whole life, but he's not. I can't force him to be a baby his whole life. The Christian faith, though, is not a growing and maturing process that happens passively. It's a process that we are actively engaging in with the participation with God. That if we want to grow up in the faith, if we want to mature, if we want to become entirely sanctified, it's the grace of God within us, but we have to choose to yield ourselves more to God, to fear the Lord, as the scripture says, to put ourselves in that posture of, Lord, come, search me, O God, know my heart, know my thoughts. If there is anything in me that you find offense with, take it away, O Lord, to not put on a good show as the scripture rebukes but to have this inward heart transformation I don't like good shows I don't want a church that puts on a really good mask I don't want a faith that's just all veneer on the outside but inwardly is rotting away what I want is that real faith that is with us in the valleys and in the mountains a faith that is with us in the grief in the celebration of faith that has been tried and tested, a faith that is firmly rooted in Jesus. That is what I want for us. Because that is the real gold of heaven that Jesus has given us. The first is we inwardly become holy as God's grace is poured into us. And the second way that we can live deeper into being the community that God wants us to be is outward holiness. Wesley would always pair these two together. There was the holiness of heart and then the holiness of life that your inward uh, actions, your inward holiness should always be reflected in how you live your life. Going back to Nehemiah in verse 9, it says, uh, should you not walk in the fear of our God? And then it says afterwards, in order to avoid being mocked by our enemies. In order to avoid being mocked by other nations, our inward holiness should be reflected in our actions. That inward holiness always, always, always leads to transformation of our lives. That we in this building should look differently than those outside this building because we have spent time with Jesus that we should live our lives differently, that we as the people of God should be more gracious to one another than those outside these buildings. We should not just passively mimic the political rhetoric of those outside these buildings. We should have more grace for one another, that we should be able to read the stories of Jesus and read the pages of Scripture and say, that reminds me of so-and-so here at my church because they have been with Jesus and we can see Jesus in them. You know, there, if you remember, there's this one little, I don't know if it's a nursery rhyme, but it was a little thing that they made us do in church. If you remember, can y'all do it with me? Here, can you say it with me? Here is the church, here is the steeple, open the door, and there's all the people. 
I don't know why they made us do it, but it's stuck. For whatever reason, it's stuck. Well, church, when we do this silly little nursery rhyme, we have the door, we have the steeple, and then inside we have all the people. What happens when people look at the steeple, open the door, and see all the people inside? Who are they looking at? Do they look inside and see Jesus? Do they see an outward show of religion, or do they see a wellspring that comes from a heart that is firmly rooted in Jesus? I want to invite the band back up as I share this. The early church, the church of Acts, the church uh, that spread all throughout the Roman Empire that fundamentally changed the course of Western civilization did not grow because they had a great social media marketing campaign. They did not grow because they had spectacular worship They did not grow because they had the best pastor in town. The early church grew because they were completely, fundamentally sold out to Jesus and striving to live like him more and more every day to say, we will become like the man that we worship. We will become more like Jesus. And that's my hope for us. As we look at this idea of rebuilding, that I want us to think, Is God rebuilding my heart? What is God rebuilding my heart to look like? Not just rebuilding the outside, not just rebuilding structures and systems, but how is God giving us new life? Jesus says in order for the new wine to come, you have to put it in new wineskins. If you put it in the old, the new wine's just going to burst. Church, do we desire this new wine? Do we desire this new transformation? Do we desire more? Say yes to the Spirit of God and watch what he does in our midst. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.